Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I am Kurt Heelan, the managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk at NBC. Thank you for being here today. And we are happy to have with us, we're lucky to have, like, look, I would be so jealous of this guy's writing chops and career if I didn't know what a nice guy he was. It's Roland Lazenby, one of the best NBA authors out there, author of, uh, how many books have you got now, Roland, on NBA, uh, NBA related uh, topics? You know, there are a whole bunch of them, Kurt, probably <laughs> 70 or more. And I, what I always like to say is a couple of them are actually pretty good. <laughs> more than a couple of them. I, I, I still would contend if you're a Lakers fan and you haven't gone back and read the show, it is the quintessential Laker history book. Uh, beyond that, uh, the Jerry West biography. And most recently, uh, Michael Jordan, The Life, which was uh, very well received. It was. It's now in 12 languages. I'm not used to that kind of success, to be honest with you. But it, it is good. You know, I'm an old man, uh, now 63. So uh, any success is welcome, but that that is nice. Of course, nobody cares who I am. It's the Jordan story that's fascinating. And so that part of it's fun, too. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. And you've, you've moved on. For people who don't know, next up, you are working on a Kobe, Bi- Kobe Bryant biography. That's I'm not letting a cat out of the bag there. Everybody kind no, of knows no, you. I am. And it's due out in this coming August from the same publisher, Little Brown, a wonderful publisher. And it is the uh, very fascinating story of Kobe Bryant. As Sonny Vaccaro told me when I was uh, – I had a list of books I wanted to do next, and he said – you got to do Kobe. Kobe's the most complicated, amazing, mind-blowing character you'll ever run into. Well, it's interesting because now you've done, you'll be doing Jordan and Kobe back-to-back, and I think you talk about two guys who kind of get compared to each other a lot just because of their competitive natures, but they, they come to that, that competitive space from very different backgrounds and places. Uh, they do, and they have some similarities. A lot of people have always assumed that Kobe's uh, competitive activities are merely some guy's effort to copy Jordan. And the one thing that has, uh, you know, just jumped out, and I've done 350 hours worth of interviews. I, I mean, I've just been on a just a crazy schedule. <laughs> but Kobe's very 
much an organic critter. He is authentic. He does. He is part of a generation that came to idolize Jordan. I think everybody who watched basketball during that period just about was blown away by Michael Jordan, so he was influenced. But no, he's, uh, you know, it was, uh, some people say, oh, that was a warm thing. And they do have very, very warm feelings. That that was a warm thing, Jordan, putting up that yeah. video tribute to Kobe and Charlotte when the Lakers played there recently. But you do point out he, he still called him his little brother. Yeah. And so there was some hierarchy establishing or reestablishing there, you know. Those guys... They, they do have good feelings, but they are two very, very competitive people. Yeah, I have to say, with, between them, there is, I don't even know if I'd call it a friendship. It seems just more like there's a bond, but I don't it's know if it's true. friendship in the, I, in the I classic sense. I had the good sense. fortune to sit down with Michael uh, in 2008 just to talk about Kobe. And, uh, you know, the way people talk, they can sort of say the right thing and, and really lack enthusiasm or have different inflections or, or raised eyebrows. There was none of that stuff. Jordan genuinely uh, respects and deeply appreciates Kobe Bryant and is quite aware of what an absolute maniac Kobe is about all of the work and preparation, far beyond what anybody else has ever done in the NBA. Yeah, and more than Jordan, even even, even Phil has said that, that, that Kobe's right. preparation and work ethic was better than Jordan's, but Jordan had more gifts, frankly. Right, and you know, um, I first did a book about Kobe when he was 19. It's a book called Mad Game. And it, he was a young guy just running into like running into the wall of the NBA, you know, it just, it was giving and he was making great progress, but it sure didn't seem like it to him. He was so ambitious, but I was just blown away. I remember back then in 96 and 97 and 98 and 99, I was just blown away by his ambition and drive. And, you know, if you, the more you looked at him, the more you actually became fearful for the guy. And, and frankly, from what I've heard, Phil's still fearful for the guy. Phil Jackson still worries that two of the people from his era are still playing the game, and he worries about them in retirement. That's Kevin Garnett and Kobe Bryant. And they are two of the all-time grinders, both of them. Yeah. With, with, with that interview, Jordan told you he thought Kobe was the one guy who could – if I don't think carry the torch, but if you're going to have to compare somebody to him, he thought Kobe was the the best comparison. The, the one guy the who one guy it. who had done the work. Yeah, and, you know who had made the effort and the industry, all, the whole machinery of pro basketball and athletic gear, all of that. You know, Jordan had scared the heck out of him when he had um, retired in October '93, and. Uh, you know, they were looking desperately even before he retired the first time. But that, the industry went nuts. They were looking all across the, the landscape for the next Jordan. And, you know, they were going through every, every player, Felipe Lopez, any number <laughs> of these guys who had some game and charisma. And they were 
trying desperately because Jordan had jacked up the stakes on everything to this. You know, the NBA, when Jordan entered as a rookie, Larry and Magic were there, but it really was was not a, still a premier league in any way. No, uh, Jordan, yeah, I was going to say, Magic and, and Bird had lifted it from, I mean, for people who don't remember this, when they first were in the league, the finals were tape delayed. Like, you watched right. them at midnight on CBS, and it was almost like a high, it wasn't even quite a highlight package. They'd show most of the game, but they might skip, you know, like those replays of football games. They We're going to skip ahead <laughs> 10 minutes for your convenience type of thing. Right. And so, I mean, the ante was that there was a stack of chips on the table because long-term contracts and broadcasting, player contracts, people had been sp- spending money as if Michael Jordan was still driving the machine. And when he stepped aside, they all panicked. You know, and, and they had to start getting the star maker machinery going, as, as they call it. And uh, so that, that was the era. Yeah, they've never found another Jordan, although they've done a better job, I think, of, of marketing you know, guys like LeBron and, and some of these guys a little, a little more as themselves right. and internationally, but there's, there's never quite been another Jordan and they do it almost by, I don't want to say yeah, committee now, but you've got the shoe industry official. He said, you know, LeBron can sell the heck out of cell phones. That's, that's been shown. He really hasn't proven. He's a great shoe salesman. Jordan is the great one. Mm-hmm. And we really, you know, having that kind of shoe salesman. Now Nike has given LeBron all this money because you know, Nike is the market leader and they want to keep the top pieces on the chessboard. But nobody. Yeah. No I mean, we're we're still seeing an industry that has grown. You know, the T V money is fantastic and we're about to see it get a lot better. Mm-hmm. But uh, the shoe industry people are very frank about just how many shoes LeBron can sell. Yeah, and they've still looked for the next guy who can do that, and that was why Under Armour looks like they made the brilliant, <laughs> brilliant move recently. Well, but... can you imagine Phil Knight? Um, <laughs> you know, he's worked so hard in so many ways to dominate, and uh, you know, a lot of people let Stephen Curry go, and uh, you know, he's. <laughs> He's the prize, and it's a different age. You don't have to be uh, dunking with uh, this and that. We, we're pace and space, and everybody's trying to play a new way, but the only ones that truly play that way with great effectiveness are the Warriors, of course, and they do it because they have that those two brilliant guards, particularly Stephen Curry. Yeah, and and you get a, a there is a different feel of the game and the, the end one in you know the end one tour impact and all that, but and I shouldn't leave out Draymond Green. He's no. he's doing the kinds of things that that make power forwards fun to watch. Yeah, exactly, and it, and and I think people are recognizing he's actually third in the MVP, uh, not MVP, but the uh, he'd be a starter at the All Star game as it stands right now. Actually, ahead of like Blake Griffin, which I think good on the fans if they end up doing that. So. I'll tell you, going back to Kobe, you know, as somebody who's followed his career as, as a Laker blogger and, and then, you know, getting this job at NBC and having just followed Kobe's whole career, to me, he's always been like a character out of a Greek tragedy where what is his greatest strength will ultimately be his greatest downfall. Like, like, and I think that's, like, you talk about the confidence. I quote you on that in my book. 
you could be my guest. <laughs> I'd actually like to. I need to uh, quote you on that, Kurt. That's a great observation. Yeah, because because his, I mean, you talk about some of the things for him. The confidence is part of that. That confidence that he could make anything that is now kind of hard to watch sometimes at the end of his career. But that confidence, I mean, that's not. Like you said, it's an organic thing that frankly goes back to Jellybean, his dad, who was trying to groom him for that, wasn't he? Uh, yes, it's a, a, it's a very complicated, amazing story. You know, uh, to me, the greatest Kobe lesson has come this year. He was so bad, so terrible. He started the season. All I could hear from the whispers from the Phil Jackson crowd was, oh, he's all broken up. This is before he played a minute. His Achilles is not going to allow him to have any athleticism. He's going to look terrible, those guys were telling me. And you know what? He came out, he looked awful. It was, if you, as we did, saw Kobe in his prime to, to see this, I was saying, enough already. Just quit. And, of course, he was oblivious to all that. He was going to win this this yeah. battle, and he was determined to play better, no matter how bad it looked. He wasn't involved in any calculus other than the game. And, he, you know, then he started to get a margin of victory over it, despite his limitations. And I've been pretty amazed by it. I've had to eat a lot of words personally. Watch It's been amazing to be. It's obviously not as amazing as MJ knocking off 50 at his advanced stage, but MJ had played about, what, 5,000? Yeah. Um, Fewer minutes, yeah. Yeah, than, than Kobe at this stage. And so... Uh, it was. Uh, it's been. It's been fascinating. It's been ugly, so ugly at times. But it's been fascinating. And then that all-star vote. Yes. Which he, by the way, the, the new numbers came out today, and he is still uh, ahead of Steph Curry by a healthy margin, uh, far and away the only guy over a million votes so far. Um, far and away, just fans want to see him one more time. And uh, just having, I was writing this the other day at Staple, you know, from Staples. It doesn't really matter right now whether Golden State's in town or Milwaukee's in town. There's a buzz at Staples because people want to see Kobe one last time, and he, and he can have one good spurt of, of four minutes, and the place goes nuts. Yeah. Well, I think those fans, I think they have suffered a lot with him, and they've, yeah. they've been in tune to what he's trying to do. If you just are catching... Pieces of it on TV, you're thinking, golly, this is awful. But if you're out there every minute, you know, he's whatever he's got, he's going to leave it out there for him. And it's ugly, but it's what he has. And he has managed, I mean, again, through the sheer force of will that he is, to turn it around some and to start playing well. And I think he badly, his victory will be playing well enough to be a legitimate member of the Olympic team, I believe. It, that'll be, that is going to be an interesting debate coming up, whether, whether they're going to give him, I mean, as you well know, with Colangelo and, and Krzyzewski making the ultimate, you know, decision here, he, you will be hard pressed to find two big, bigger Kobe supporters. Oh, they, they love him. To, to them, he's the guy that saved the Olympic program just with his work ethic alone, showing this next generation of players. Uh, you, you know, LeBron was wide-eyed the first time he was Wade, on all the roster with Kobe. This was before Kobe 
USA. And, you know, he was, LeBron was coming down to go to the bus, and Kobe was coming out of the weight room. He'd been lifting before, you know, and Kobe does all. I mean, Kobe's middle of the night. Kobe is maniacal. Uh, you just never know what he's going to be doing. But, it, you know, uh, I used to have a statement I would make when I taught college. I would tell my students, you know, the good news is, it's, uh, or the bad news is it's all about hard work. The good news is it's all about hard work. And that, that epitomizes Kobe. Yeah. Uh, he's this guy who's always been willing to outwork everybody and not by a little bit, by ten times. He'll do ten times more work than the next guy. And that's how he really shaped the Olympic team. I have no doubt they'll have him on there. Plus, they're not stupid. They are business guys. And this vote, this all-star vote, if they were having doubts, I think the all-star vote just gives them a big boost of confidence that, that he belongs on that team. And, you know, it's also about ratings, and and Larry Bird couldn't play, but the nostalgia of Bird with that bad back on Dream Team, that helped drive the storyline. And that's part of what that team is. It's not about amateurs. It's about anymore like it used to be forever. It is about these pro money-making machines. Yeah, it's about the brands of those guys, and that's why everybody wants to do it. The Olympics, in particular, and uh, I, I, I can assure you that the fine folks at NBC would love, <laughs> love to see Kobe there and see the ratings that come with Kobe yeah, on that roster with the rest of the Lakers with him. Yeah. Well, the funny thing, and, and that's you know, I joke about this almost half-heartedly. The advantage the USA has is that they can almost roll out that Laker roster and and still win a medal. Like we're so yeah, far ahead. That's true. Of, of much of the rest of the world. Spain can certainly challenge us. Like France has a good team. Brazil, there, there's some countries. But for the most part, like, we are so advanced. And you put, you know, you can afford to put Kobe on that team and play him limited minutes if he wants to do that because look, nobody else in the world has Russell Westbrook. Like, we can roll out guys nobody can match and, and just steamroll teams. So, Well, he, he's going to look so much better with better players oh, yeah. around him, yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's not going to look like it looks right now. No. But you talked about, you know, Kobe outworking everybody. Is that ultimately, you know, when I talk about the, the Greek tragedy of his strengths being his weaknesses, is that ultimately his physical undoing and, and leads to the Achilles? Is that he put, not only did he play a lot, but he put a lot of miles on that body in practices and in workouts and in everything. Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Charlie Rosen feels uh, side kick and, and good friend and coaching buddy and quasi-communicator sometimes has been saying that for a good while now, that that Kobe, that the price for now is um, everything he did along the path to get to now, to push himself incredibly. He has just driven himself into the ground. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think you'd have a bigger compliment for somebody. There's so many people in all sports cashing huge checks yeah. who are not putting everything on the line. Heck, not just sports and everything. Yeah. And, I mean, this is a guy that uh, he's never had a minute's thought for the future. And I, I'm sure he's 
in one sense, as much as he hates everything, in one sense, I don't think he regrets at all everything he did to make every effort because that is his legacy. When, when he walks off the floor for the final time, there is no one that can point to any stone anywhere in this whole universe and say Kobe Bryant left that stone unturned. Yeah, yeah and I think as a culture, those are characters that, that fascinate us. I mean, like, like one of my favorite plane movies, I ended up watching it, you know, it's a little couple years old now, but on the on a on a flight last year during the finals was Euro Love Sushi, which which is you know this one guy who's dedicated his whole life to making sushi in Japan and he's he's considered I don't know, I I'm not even actually sure if he's still alive but the master of sushi making, it's a fascinating story of a guy who in Kobe's sense too, this guy sacrificed family this guy sacrificed a lot of things to be singularly focused and better than anybody at this. Kobe sacrificed a lot to get where he is. Right. The film Whiplash uh, yeah. about the drummer is, is uh, really just encapsulates. Without any values, you know, there's no judgment to anything. I don't know if you've seen Whiplash. Yes, I have. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, it is about everything on the line. No time for relationships. And, um, you know, that you couldn't have a better legacy. And, uh, you know, I think MJ, uh, as fabulous as he is, the greatest player, you know, he left things on the floor. I think Kobe's uh, failing is, as he has said and acknowledged, he was an idiot in dealing with Shaq. He was so bullheaded about things. But um, MJ, you know, he, he partied. I mean, he, he did He laid it all out there, too, but... Not to the extent Kobe did. He allowed himself room to really party and and do some things. And um, and he golf never was. Yeah, you say he did he all this playoff games playing golf. Yeah. And Kobe would never have given anything like that. He he threw away a pretty decent music career as a hip hop artist. You know, Sony gave him five hundred thousand dollars to make a record. And uh, they just didn't have time to do stuff like that. He's, Kobe's a talented writer. And so I think uh, Phil Jackson's fears for him aside, I hope Kobe will find something down the road here. But there will never... I, I watched Jerry West shooting free throws at the University of Hawaii for 1992 training camp. I was fascinated. He was training basket after basket. And I'd talk to him afterward. He would stop and stare at the goal. He was in the gym all alone by himself. And it's just like an old, irretrievably lost love. Yeah. Game for those guys that have that relationship with him. Do you think Kobe is, uh, to me, he seems, though, in some ways, it's never going to be the same, but he seems better prepared for life after basketball than Jordan was. Jordan kind of floundered around looking for something that, you know, now he's he's found an ownership stake and he's actually, something you and I have discussed before, he's gotten better at being an owner. Like the, he has, and I think Jordan is, is underappreciated as an owner. But Jordan never even had a job, you know. And come to think of it, I don't think Kobe had either. Kobe's job was to be a pro. And so I think that um, Kobe has already
already started to do some things. He's got a, a big shop down there in um, southern, you know, south of L.A. Yeah, and, down in Newport Beach in Orange County. Yeah, yeah, and he's got media projects going on. He's got a, a plan to deal, a program he wants to build for elite athletes, from what I've been told. And So he has designs on the future. Um, I, You know, uh, I, it's going to help, but... You know, uh, one of the guys, I forget who it was, said the other day, you know, he retires, he's going to get that twinge. He's going to be back. And maybe this period here will help him get over the twinge. But we may see Kobe at 40 up there trying. You know, Joe, his father, played at 50. Were you surprised Kobe decided to do the farewell tour? Um, he's, he's copyrighted something, I forget. what he, He's got all this... He's got a crew following him around. Like, they're doing another, I don't know, Muse-like, but uh, they're doing another documentary this year. Right. And he's got a whole bunch of product lines or stuff that he's, uh, you know, he's apparently selling products. And, uh, you know, he's in his 30s. That's when the entrepreneurial spirit strikes so many people. And, and they go out, you know, I, it hit me in my 30s. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so that's part of the American spirit. I'm glad to see it in him. You know, he's uh, he's always been his own man. When he first wanted to get married, everybody said, no, no, no. And Tex said, oh, yeah, it's good for him. Tex Winter told me that. Tex said he needs something else in his life. And this will be good for Kobe. It's going to be other things in his life. I, you know, he is a... He's a very ambitious guy. I just don't think what he's going to do will ever be small. Yeah, but this, I'm going to say, at first I was a little surprised that he decided to do the farewell tour because it's not something he wanted, but I think you touched on the key. This is all part of the branding. This is all part of not just the documentary, but the next step for him, the hero the hero and villain thing and whatever else he's got coming. Uh, it's, it's all, he sees it as an evolution. Entrepreneurial spirit. When I talk about guys in their 30s wanting to be entrepreneurs, mm. entrepreneurs don't care how cheesy something is. Yeah, they they're just looking for to find what will sell. They are so locked in, and uh, you know, in some ways, I I think that explains. Uh, is it a little cheesy? Of course. The, the, is Kobe fearful of being a little cheesy? Doesn't seem to me that he is. He wants to find out what's going to sell, and so. Hey, that's what drives. That's what floats the American boat. So, I, you know, I, I'm not going to criticize that. I, I, you know, it's a, it's a healthy sign, I think, for him. You were, uh, you, you, like you said, you've spoken to Jerry West. You know him a little bit. You wrote the, uh, the bi- a biography on him, which again was was, is brilliant. Is one of it's just a great uh, uh, insight into. Well, what I made don't Jerry even West. have it brilliant. Uh, my name and brilliant the same sentence very often, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, he, it's a it's a fantastic um, uh, look at him, but uh, you know, Kobe obviously credits West for bringing him into the league and making the the draft day trade and recognizing what he had and and you know, essentially fleecing John Calipari. Um, in they West, fleeced a lot of people, yeah, actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he did. Did is this? Yeah, I mean, the story came out this year about how ML Carr was was <laughs> impressed and considered him. But but ended up going uh, with 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 one of the big six that year. Baxter Holmes, I believe. 
believe yeah, from ESPN yeah. did that story. He's done a lot of great work. Yeah, Baxter Kobe. does great work. Um, yeah, yeah, he's a really great Laker writer. The Lakers are fortunate they've got a, a really impressive crew. There's a good group, uh, you know, yeah. around the Lakers. They've always had good writers. Yeah, but when West case, like drafting Kobe, was this a case where it takes one to know one? He saw that competitive guy. He saw a little bit of himself in there. Yeah, I, I've interviewed a lot of the scouts. They were excited. Kobe was a high school player, though. The guards were brand new coming into the yeah. NBA out of high school. Um, I think they were all excited. There were, uh, in every organization, there were people really intrigued by him. And a lot of them said they had a sense that they were screwing up. But he was a big reach at the time. Yeah. And there were reputations. A lot of these teams, uh, uh, but the Lakers had it, you know, just they've had that brilliance. Jerry West was absolutely brilliant with the Lakers. And before that, Bill Sharman was yeah. maybe even more brilliant and continued to the end to advise Jerry Buss secretly and executively on things. And uh, it, it was the heart of the order for the Laker franchise. I don't think they have any of that anymore. I don't think they have. And they may have. I don't want to disrespect them too much. But to be able to look into things and to see and then to have the stones. Of course, they were already laying it all on the line for Shaq. Yeah. And so laying it all on the line for Kobe was just a step beyond that. But it was a uh, franchise at the time beside itself to be great again, and willing to take risks. And they had, you can say what you want about Jerry Buss, there are different opinions, but he was a gambler. When, it, when, the, when the cards were on the table and he had a shot at something big, he wasn't afraid to go for it. No, but, you know, he had the gambler's sense of, the poker player sense of, of, you know, hey, when I should go in on this pot, when I should make the bluff, when I should make the play, and when not to, that, that I think... Exactly. It, you, have, you have explained it perfectly. He really had all of that sense, which still confuses me how he could leave the franchise so ham hamstrung apparently now yeah. but you know that's life's not perfect it'll work itself out it will i think it's i think that they are dealing with a couple of things which is a that they don't have somebody at the very top with that with that same sense and that same vision and on top of that not many organizations do no no really. no, no but the and the other part of that is that the rules have changed yes. it, it, it dramatically on on under the new cbas and 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 how they're a little bit hamstrung and a lot of some of their advantages have gone away and it's it's going to it's frankly just going to be much harder for them to have that level of success in the future whether Jerry was the guy calling the shots or not right and I, I don't in any way um, think that Jerry was calling the shots with Golden State no but he brings that spirit no he does and, though and he he, he and look right and he sees enough to, to elevate everything else the other guys are seeing and so hats off well he's also the guy remember he was um one of the big guys pushing for not trading clay thompson for 
for uh, Kevin Love, and, and and how much of that they, they never put Love out there. They, you know, I mean, they never put Clay in that deal, but that was in part because West was adamant that that was a bad idea, and right, you know, and, and proven to be pretty impressive. I mean, Love was this guy. They wanted Love more than anything, more than they should have wanted him, and so. Um, there you go. There's that. Yeah. There's that bit that that thing he does. That thing that Jerry West does that can help a franchise just be enough to compete, and he can do it. I think Jerry is. Uh, he, I think he's 78 now. He's a youthful 78. What is he? He's born in 38. Yeah. Yeah, he'll soon. He's seventy-seven now. He'll in May. He'll be seventy-eight, and he's as youthful as seventy-eight-year-old as Tex Winter was. Yeah, and Tex Tex was sharp as attack and until until stroke until the very end, unfortunately. Right. But uh, my sense is that, and, and you mentioned this earlier, and it kind of hinted at this. My sense is that, and I'll, I, I will have to say that the biggest thing I got just kind of randomly being there I I actually gone to do something on Paul George the night Kobe announced I, I had no intention of like really writing about the Lakers that night and uh plans changed um I was at the game and in the sense of Kobe in the room and being at peace with this decision I don't get the feeling that he's going to do the Jordan and come back uh, but are you convinced there's people around him that that still think he might well I, I think he's going to get hit with something he didn't expect and I'm trying to think which wise old NBA head pointed this out the other day. One of those guys from the 90s, they said he'll be out about a year and it's going to hit him hard. And he's, you know, and Kobe already had more desire than the next 10 guys. So I say at that one year point, and maybe six months with him, he's going to, uh, he's going to be hit with a fit. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he rides it out. Yeah, like I said, I think he's better prepared than most, but that it is going to be different. There is going to be a moment. He's not. He said this, and I tend to agree. I I cannot picture him coaching. I don't think he has the uh, maybe as a consultant. Uh, he has no patience. He didn't have the patience. I don't think he could do the a day to day GM job. Uh, you know, uh, maybe in a Jerry West part owner type of role, but uh, no. I think we may see him in a disguise playing in a Latvia. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Exactly. He'll be wearing, you know, those Groucho Mark sunglasses and a fake nose <laughs> over there, trying to hide and playing in and uh, somewhere in Europe, one of the lower level leagues, just at age just fifty. To the monkey. Just, yeah. Just actually, yeah. At age fifty, just sneaking out there to do a little bit. Um, while I've got you here, I, I also, you know, again, your your Jordan the Life book. When it first came out, and you did a round of interviews. Both, you know, we talked to you here at PBT, but you, you yeah, were doing you the media did, circuit. And, and uh, just a, a great interview to, uh, for me. Thank you to, oh, to no. kick that off. No, but I have to say, I was a little surprised. The, the, the Jordan, for lack of a better word, the racist angle, the angry with white people angle, really yeah, took on a life of its own like for it, a while. And that was had to be a little uncomfortable for you because I don't think that it it wasn't what the book was about, and it certainly wasn't what you you weren't trying to be sensational with that. No, it was a British tabloid that uh, uh, what is the famous British tabloid? 
avoids the globe. The, the, the mirror? I always forget. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not spending but, enough time in London these days. No, but but they did a. I mean, they did a whole big thing, and uh, you know. And then I hate to say this, NBC, the Today Show, yep. just took it and ran with it. And um, I will let you know, just for the record. My pull at NBC with the Today Show or any of the primetime broadcasting, they don't really reach out to their NBA writers to discuss that right. at any point. All they had to do was probably give you a phone call. Are, are you they kidding? Ran. I didn't get that. Like I, I have trouble. I, they did something, and I'm gonna, I, I'm, not, and I'm suddenly gonna go blank off the top of my head that I wanted a video from them that I wanted that was NBA related around the finals last year, and I couldn't pull enough strings to get it. I'm like, it's the same network, and I couldn't get it. So right. Well, they all are competing divisions. And yeah. yeah, exactly. They don't want to give each other, because they're fighting for budgets. Uh, the, the internal competition is just like a basketball team. The internal competition in a basketball team is often far worse than the external. And I've seen it on every team just about I've ever coached. But that's, that's just the way it goes. But once uh, the Today Show picked it up just in a hurry like the you know, everybody's rushing to get that hit today. I mean, yeah. it, is a, it is a common problem. And I, I swear it was on a thousand websites in like two hours. And there's just, you know, it's something he said in 1992. In context, he was talking about being a very angry, frustrated adolescent. And the book had it in context. But, yeah. you know, the the British newspaper pulled it out in context of the sterling argument that was going on in uh, spring of 2014 when my book came out. And so it said, wait a minute, you're getting rid of sterling. Well, what about Jordan being a racist? And, of course, he had nothing of the sort. Jordan's life is one of the most integrated lives you know, I, I just, uh, it was just absurd, but it's what happens. I, you know, I sent a message I, to uh, his representative. I said, look, this is, this is absurd. We apologize. And we, you know, Little Brown went all over the place uh, correcting that, that yeah. impression. But things like that happen. Yeah. It, I, I will say this, you know. It's interesting because Jordan went through his career, and you talked about briefly, like, the partying, the golfing, the, the gambling that went on. This is a guy who, you know, Steve Kerr will be quick to say, like, you couldn't do what we did now in a cell phone. Like, guys are much more private now because they have to be because everybody's walking around with a camera. Or, you, you know, you end up like Jaleel Okafor on the, you know, on TMZ. But Jordan avoided the PR hits that Kobe got, particularly around Colorado. And Kobe, that, that was really a turning point for him personally. In terms of kind of you his know, image and stuff. charged with a major felony. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing where, forget who you are, you're going. Yeah. You're going off to the farm if if they, you know, that's a first offense, immediate incarceration. And that's, uh, that, that was a game changer. He, I mean, outside of the court case and, and whatever happened in the hotel room, that was when he changed somewhat of his image, though, and kind of embraced the... Uh, the darker side of his of his image, wouldn't you say? I mean, it was always there, but he embraced it. Yeah, I think that's kind of the you know he he, he came up with the black mamba identity, changed his number. He, you know, Kobe is uh, rep 
reptilian in that regard. You know, he sloughed off his skin several times as a uh, professional, and uh, that was a major change, you know. Yeah, if you'd been around Kobe and then you'd come up and talk to him expecting the same old Kobe, you know, because when he was a kid, he was like a Huxtable. Yeah. And uh, then you'd come up and he'd have this sort of cowed look and not quite, you know, making eye contact. And, uh, you know, he just had to sort of pull back in the shell at, at times. And I don't know. He's, uh, yeah. he's lived a big life. Yeah. And uh, he's fortunate to be where he is. For, for those of us in the media, he reached a few years ago the uh, I don't give a bleep phase of the phase of his career and is just far more honest, far more just kind of blunt in interviews than he might have been back when he right. was a little more concerned about selling shoes and everything else. Not that he's not concerned about his brand, but he's, he's woven that into his brand. And and now, I, oh, by the way, I, my, my tip out there for people listening, if, when you're listening to Kobe interviews, the more you see him cuss, like the more honest he's being, the more unscripted, <laughs> genuine he's being. Like it, the more cussing is going on in the interview, the, 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 if, if he's completely never cussing, then, then he's, he's in PR mode a little bit. Right. It's, it's, it's fascinating. But if he's, if he doesn't he's always. He's gone to that. That's his go-to for, uh, I, I don't know. There's, I, I, I do not profess. And I mean, I've spent a huge portion of my life here, you know, now trying to write this book. There's a part of Kofi. It's just almost beyond yeah. understanding. It really is. Yeah, he's a fascinating character. The book, I'm so, you said it will be out in August? Uh, yes, it's called Showtime, The Life of Kobe Bryant. Uh, you, I'm sure this summer we will remind you to pre-order it. I meant Showtime, I meant Showboat. Showboat. Okay. Which is the name Shaq gave him, you know? Ah, that's a great point. And that's, uh, I, I can't wait to read it because I, nobody does their research. Nobody kind of, especially when you're dealing with Lakers stuff, nobody really knows their history and understands them. Well, uh, nobody has the time to. I get to do some of this because I'm a biographer. <laughs> it's beautiful. But everybody else is, is busy just covering the events as they happen. I mean, it's yeah. that's why somebody like me is able to go in and do the research because like, everybody's done such great work. You know, he it, it's it's. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I'm sure we'll do a book review and have you back on uh, uh, in the fall talk about the book and and some of the stuff in it. I I can't wait to read it and uh, I it, I can't wait to follow you and just talk to you through the rest of the season because this really is this. I mean, this final chapter with Kobe has turned out to be fascinating. And the, like you mentioned, the fans are eating it up. He is going to be in Toronto freezing his butt off in February with the rest of us now. He is, and that's that's good. And, Kurt, you know, this is a, it's a fun conversation. Uh, you know, you are right there at the pulse of everything going on in the NBA. I, I'm so locked into Kobe and trying to get it all down. Um, I, I, You know, this... <laughs> This is illuminating for me. I've really enjoyed it. Well, I enjoyed it too. And, and yeah, I'm just one of those guys trying to chase the news of the day. I've got, you know, I probably got to go write four more CJ McCollum stories today. Or I'm something. aware. <laughs> I mean, the output, uh, I mean, you know, when I was young, I could really crank it out. And I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm still cranking it out, but it's all on one subject between the pages. Yeah, look, but, I, I wasn't kidding uh, earlier. I, I, I'm jealous think. of your writing chops, man. I, I, both your, your research and, and then how you put it together. But it, the, it's, the you old are school phenomenal. guys, 
as they suppose we were, I don't think they could handle the the, the volume of work it's, that this generation of journalists has to do. It's it, the dynamic has changed even in the time you know from, uh, that I've been doing this, and it's it's it's. I, I was fortunate to be better prepared for it than some, but uh, and just kind of, of have a personality for it, but. It, Roland, thank you so much for doing thank this and you, talking. Sir. And uh, everybody, we will be back next Monday with the next edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. Thanks for listening. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.